Well, yeah, like, because I've read stuff with, of like, people who, like, you know, people who live in India saying they're, like, yeah, they're all, especially with, like, regional languages. Right. Well, there'll be, like, some people who live in X city will go a hundred, just a hundred kilometers away, and the dialects will be completely unintelligible. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Yeah. The I thing mean, that I pr- learned is that there are two communist parties of India. Uh, at and- least. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, got, there's probably but, way more. But no, but two that are specifically called the Communist Party of India. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah, they yeah. both yeah. hold seats in different regions in different amounts. And yeah. they mm-hmm. also, one of them is like 90 years old and one of them is like 60 years old. Well, oh, one, yeah. is, one is ML and one is MLM Naxalite, well, right? Well, there's, there's CPIM, which is Marxist. Okay. There's CPI ML. ML, yeah. And right, then okay. I think... I am not sure on this. I should know this, and I'm a is little embarrassed that I am for Maoist that I, that I don't. Is I think the Naxal movement, specifically the rural uh, like guerrilla movement, I believe is a separate okay group that isn't one of those parties. But I'm not. It, they might be tied to CPIML. I'm not sure because I think the Naxal movement rejects parliamentary like involvement as like oh, bourgeois reformism. Right, but I. Did, I I don't know that for sure. Like, don't take that as a fact. <laughs> yeah, that's the actually that that was the thing that I was really getting at because I was like, okay, so CPIM does that stand for just Marxist? Does that stand for Maoist? And I was like, okay, so it stands for Marxist, and then because obviously the ML is for Marxist Leninist. Although the Marxist Party does also consider themselves Marxist yes. Leninist, right? <laughs> yeah, because like from from what I I, I believe. CPIML split off from CPIM with basically like issues of revisionism, you know, the whole thing in the 60s and 70s where everybody was arguing about revisionism, Mm -hmm. uh, which I personally don't think is a particularly relevant uh, argument anymore. Yeah, um, I'm guessing. Well, a lot of these they're they're in the same struggle. They're yeah, they're really sure. they're, they're, yes. they're they are co- they are a coalition of yes. of parties. Uh, and I I think that maybe they are just like it happens to be the regions that they became more popular in now because they yeah. each hold seats in different regions. Right. Um. So yeah, like like I know CPIM is if not the dominant party, one of the dominant parties in the left. I believe it's called the Left Democratic Front, but it's like the Left Front that is in charge of the state government in, in Kerala, which I think is what most people who know anything about the, like even a little bit about the, the communist movement in India will have heard about Kerala because the, at various times CPIM has had like the actual control of the state government there. And unsurprisingly, Kerala has had the best, like COVID response, they tend to have like the lowest inequality. And even right. though they don't have like control of the federal policies, the party and, and, and its allies there have been able to do a lot of really good work. Um, right. But I mean, also like their, um, their successes represent like a legitimate standing political threat for to sure. the security of the mm-hmm. fascist, like Modi government and, uh, the BJP and all of the extensions of like Indian Hindutva and, and nationalism as it stands today. So yeah, like I mean, since the farmers' protests have started, I've seen sporadically, and I'm sure this has happened more often because I mean, it's not like our portion of like the 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 portions of Twitter that I travel in <laughs> on our account. Like 
I don't necessarily get, see a ton of news out of India, but like Mm -hmm. I've seen various things of like, you know, BJP associated people like RSS members, which is like the, the fascist paramilitary associated with the BJP. Right. Um, like torching, uh, CPIM offices and which I'm like, well, that's horrible, but it does tell you, it does tell (laughs) you that they're very much seen as a threat, which means they're doing something right. Right. Well, it's, it's also shocking to me that like so few, and this is also like, I'm scolding myself here that so few people like really try to keep their thumb on the pulse of what's going on in India, because this is a country that has not, it doesn't just have the most people in the world, but it's also like recently become much more online than it previously was. And it has the most English speaking people of any nation on Mm -hmm. earth. So there's going to be plenty (laughs) of English language press and journalism and, and posting and stuff coming out of India. Yeah. So that's something that maybe I need to step up my, my Twitter follows at the very well, least. I just want to, I mean, I, I guess that's one of the reasons why I've actually been able to keep following it, I think, because there are just so many like dual language and English language publications mm-hmm. right. about this stuff. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we've been able to cover it so <laughs> thoroughly. Is right. I'm really actually very thankful for it, for all of the information. Well, and it's uh, really refreshing as an American where like, not only are we not exposed to a lot of press that was originally written in another language or foreign press that was already in English, but like, also, we just don't provide dual language anything for the most part in this country like instruction manuals and stuff will come in a few languages but like that's it we don't even do like street signs in multiple languages we don't do you have to buy a product in order to get multiple languages exactly (laughs) but yeah i i I definitely want to learn more about and, and and be become better informed and educated about the great the broader communist movement in in india because there's like it's so heavily tied into the farmers movement and there's so much going like all the stuff you were saying, like the, the struggle there is, is so much further advanced mm-hmm. than it is here. I'm like, we mm-hmm. should be studying that like, as well as, you know, all the other movements in Latin America. Cause it's right. like, those folks are, yeah. The class struggle is so much further advanced there. Than I, it so is you hear them, you hear them, listeners. That if you if you know about this shit, like hit us up and we will get you on here. We, yeah. we could use an entire episode. Like seriously, I I we've already done so many long segments about this that we we still are even just scratching the surface. So if you well, really I, have a good grasp on on uh, on movements and shit in, in India, like. Hit us up. <laughs> well, and I also think a lot of like uh, American or otherwise Western leftists, communists, socialists, whatever, like uh, get hung up on the really, really big socialist nation, you know, du jour, which is China right now. And like arguing, litigating, is China doing the right thing? Is China going to outmaneuver the United States? Is China like China is exciting. Like they are, they are the rising world power, arguably already the risen world power. Uh, on the global stage, but like also China has a functioning socialist government. You can litigate whether that's true or not in the comments. I don't care, but like they, (laughs) they are running their shit. Whereas in India, it is a socialist struggle against a fascist regime, which like, honestly is, isn't that more exciting? Like, isn't that a much more, isn't that a, a, a center of much more like dialectical progress maybe than China kind of gradually taking dominance over the global stage, which is cool, but 
kind of boring to watch. You know, it's like a ship pulling into the dock or something. The, the, like, the, <laughs> the explosive political practice of the, the, the class struggle in action versus the process of the construction of the productive forces over, you right. know, like a span of five, six decades. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like Indian communists are calculating like really intense, like few year plans on how to get a leg up and, and how to help people in their communities. Meanwhile, China is like, OK, well, if we keep on this track in 30 years, everything should be tied up pretty neatly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is uh, I guess if you are listening, this is not we. Th- this story is actually closer to the end of our episode. <laughs> That's true. So, That's true. So I guess so let's, we can uh, get into get it yeah. at the beginning. everybody your premier geopolitics podcast uh, <laughs> all your right. hosts are here today we're entirely listener supported so if you support us on the patreon thank you very much if you're not in the discord get in there so you can see the meme review at the very least and i guess we're just going to get right into it uh talking about mm-hmm. some chicago mechanics whose strike has finally ended after eight weeks so we talked about this on the show uh, about two months ago, and these uh, these workers spent eight weeks on the picket line and then voted very narrowly, Local 701 voted very narrowly to accept an offer from the new car dealers committee. Yeah, this situation was a little different than I think what we see with a lot of strikes because you almost had like a boss's union, sort right. of, that because it, it, it wasn't like these these drivers were just going on strike at one car mechanic or like, you know, that they were all represented by the same union, but they're all going on strike at say a bunch of franchises. It's, Mm -hmm. it was actually, you know, dozens and dozens of, of car dealers in the Chicago area are all part of this new car dealers committee, basically forming a, a, a trade block. Uh, to try and you know use that to even further the leverage they already have as as the owners of the means of production over right. over the workers and that it seems like and unfortunately I wasn't able to find a ton of details or anything specifically on what came out of the contract it just didn't seem like it was published yet when I was looking through these notes but that was one of the strange things about this was because when the strike started it wasn't the entire local because um, there was some dealers who were able to come to a, a slightly more agreeable deal than what was being offered by the new car dealers committee. Right. And so they just broke away from the committee and, and signed a new contract with, with some of the mechanics that way. And then periodically over the course of the last eight weeks, more and more of the car dealers were peeling off from the committee and signing deals, which at first kind of like at first glance seems like, Oh, oh that's good. It means the strikes wearing them down. But and and again, it's hard to get into like to know for sure without the specific details of the contract, which we don't have. But from trying to re, you know get the quotes that we could get from like the Chicago Tribune article and a couple of others, it seems like it was kind of a mutual attrition on on both sides right. because like I'm sure our listeners are aware with you know all the supply chain issues that are going on right now with global shipping and and with chip production car prices have gone through the damn roof which means that demand to repair and service cars has also gone through the roof so these places need their mechanics but from the stuff that they were talking about in here it seems like 
the union, like with as you were saying, with the really narrow strike vote to to end, it, it's it seems like basically that the the workers really didn't get everything they were looking for. They they got a better deal than what was initially offered right. by this trade block of of car committees of uh, car dealers, but not everything that they were hoping for. Well, and they so. were stymied by this uh, new car dealers committee, which as far as I can tell, and I believe I said this last time we talked like about the it. the OPEC of used car dealerships. <laughs> yeah, it's just, a, it's just a, a bunch of owners getting together and fixing wages, which yes. is like, that's literally just price fixing. Yes. But for wages, which is legal. Meanwhile, if they did it for the cars, they would be like under federal investigation right away. Yeah, I I don't really understand why that's legal. I well, mean, well, Chicago. I mean, yeah, like I can understand, you know, <laughs> yeah. from the the raw like, you know, bourgeois I mean, logic why they property right, right. over people. Yeah. But but like why like anti-monopoly laws don't apply to that? I don't really get, but as you were saying, I Chicago, I suppose. Yeah, very famously corrupt city. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it seems like they did get some of what they were looking for. Cause I know specifically one of the things when we originally talked about it a couple months ago, when they launched the strike was they were basically the dealers were trying to get the option to essentially, if they didn't feel that they were getting enough profit out of the work that the workers were doing, that they could pay the workers less than originally planned on. I would hope that was bargained out of this contract because that's ridiculous. Right. But uh, yeah, it's so it, it, it seems like neither side was exactly ecstatic with the deal. And, and if more details come out, you know, I'll, I'll post about them in the discord, but right. The, when the dealers go, Oh, I, I can only have nine vacations this year instead of 10, <laughs> then we yeah. need to cut your wages. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, like the only other place I saw anything about it was, you know, World Socialist website, but unfortunately, that is also one of the least reliable sources of information on the internet. Yeah. So I didn't really want to use that. So, well, uh, speaking of unique working situations, uh, speaking of people who have in a an unusual arrangement of worker to yes. boss uh, in the workplace, we want to talk about gig workers in New York City who have recently won some reforms that have been passed through the New York... Is this the New York City Council that passed these? Yeah, yeah, Uh, the city government. City government uh, addressing some of the worst excesses of the exploitation inherent in the gig economy. So this is targeting delivery companies like Grubhub, Uber Eats, and DoorDash, sets minimum pay, allows workers to keep more of their tips, and limits how far workers can be asked to travel for deliveries. And it also has a provision that guarantees access to bathrooms. So these are some of the critical things. These are not all of the rights that gig economy workers need. It's not even close to an exhaustive list, but this is some of the baseline stuff um, that gig workers have been fighting for for quite a while now. Yeah. And as far as like the details of these bills, it's a, it's a package of, I believe, uh, six pieces of legislation. Mm-hmm. And one of the weird things is, is that I, I guess partially due to the nature of gig work and the fact that they're not, that's the, the key with these bills is they're all good. They all help workers. Mm-hmm. None of them reclassify the workers correctly right. as workers. It keeps them classified as independent contractors. And so I believe because of the you know weird nature of that kind of work, rather than the bill containing the language, it says you shall pay a minimum of X per trip of it shall work out to X per hour or whatever. Right. 
what these basically do is they ask this city board, the the Department of Consumer and Worker Protection, to study gig uh, working conditions, and then based on that study, issue rules to establish like a minimum per trip payment, which doesn't include tips, and then it also has to study things like how tips are paid and then how that information is disclosed to the workers. Cause that's, I mean, that's another thing that we've talked about is these places where it'll be right. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's complete black box in the algorithm. So it's what may appear is this is how much you're getting of the tip. And then what you actually get can be completely different amounts. And so this is trying to address that. Right. And I mean, also allowing the city department of consumer and worker protection to handle this does indicate that like the, the minimum payments that they're going to establish are assuredly going to be less than if they just had included those amounts, even somewhat arbitrarily in the legislation when it was first passed, because that's the thing is like, they're fighting for a min- a living minimum wage in New York City right. and they're probably going to get a living minimum wage in like suburban Kansas. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, um, but I mean like this legislation was done in partnership with Los Deliveristas Unidos who yep. we've actually covered it when we've talked about this before. So it's good that the the delivery union is actually uh brought in to make the, to help make these discussions, especially since these are uh representing mostly like immigrant um app delivery workers and uh a lot of the things that they've been that they've been pushing and but it really also you know makes me think like they already know the conditions what's why why is this study a thing like the thing that they're pushing for is is like actual tangible change and if they're really listening to this union wouldn't they already know what sort of things need to come to pass and obviously like the the bathroom thing and a couple other little uh uh what do you call it uh the things that they're doing um yeah uh it's good again like john said but uh, there's, it's very clear that the reclassification of workers as independent contractors will continue to be a sticking point that I don't even know if they're really going to get passed because this the idea of this kind of study just looks at a bunch of like conditions and is like probably going to conti- like piecemeal pick up one or two things and never actually get to the core issue of recognizing these workers uh, is what they are, which is the actual employees of these businesses. Well, that's precisely why this legislation was actually supported by some of the companies, including Grubhub, because I'm sure uh, they felt that it was a much more palatable alternative to their shareholders than to uh, allow this battle to continue in a way where it might escalate all the way up to actually forcing them to classify workers as workers, which to me does is kind of a sad story because it indicates that that pressure is there in at least some amount that has large corporations like Grubhub worried. And as much as I do respect the gains that are provided by this bit of legislation here, it leaves me wondering if maybe this wasn't, you know, the time to strike while the iron was hot and just, you know, do the whole job and get the workers properly classified. Yeah. One thing though, that I I did take heart from this because there was a an article in uh, the city, um, which is, you know, magazine in New York, mm-hmm. um, that 
they had an interview with one of the lead organizers of of Los Deliveristas Unidos, uh, Sergio Ache, who was, I thought, was very like sober and realistic in, in his analysis of this, where he said, quote, we have the support of a good group of elected officials, and that helps us muster strength to keep fighting. These six bills will help workers, but they're not enough. Only time each passing day will inform us what else we should change and demand. Every day, more delivery workers are getting together and the movement grows. We're making progress, end quote. And so I, yeah. I think that really shows their understanding that it's like, this is not mission accomplished. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good, because, I mean, uh, it clearly isn't. And it's glad that, that the people who are doing the organizing are, are recognizing that as well. Um, and uh, they said they're bringing more people in. I mean, like, presumably these workers are doing really good organizing. And this, technically, I mean, I, we did, did we talk about how in a certain way, I think we mentioned it in another, in the stuff that was going on in California about how technically these independent contracting worker unions are, are in a form illegal because of the price fixing laws. Yes. Right. And, uh, and so the idea that like they have enough power that they can just kind of bypass that sort of situation, uh, is, is a little bit heartening. Yeah, I mean, because, like, some of the actions we reported on before, like, when they basically took, like, hundreds of drivers and they came out with their mopeds and were able to just shut down, you know, major avenues in the city for a certain amount of time, which immediately, you know, got a response from the city government of, like, oh, okay, hey, yeah, what do you want? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And I think that clearly served as an initial impetus to get the ball rolling on these reforms. And so hopefully they're able to use this as a further recruiting tool to go to folks who haven't already been organizing and say, see, look what we were able to do with the small organization we have now. Imagine what we can do if we have every gig worker in the city in this and like actually are able to force through like the, the real goal here, you know, it for your, your bigger reform of actually getting workers correctly classified as employees. Right. Absolutely. And so Speaking of, uh, you know, a budding workers movement, right? we actually have another story out of Chicago, um, because this is, of course, uh, the, the world's premier Midwest labor podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so this is a, a story out of In These Times, um, but it was also reported in a bunch of places about workers at uh, like, what I believe is the biggest uh, tortilla company in Chicago, El Milagro. Who, where to, a couple weeks ago, nearly 100 workers at their tortilla plant walked out during their shifts and picketed the company, demanding that they address a long history of safety violations and abuse, including sexual harassment and intimidation. Mm-hmm. And so they like were able to get together with community leaders that, and that's one of the other interesting things with this story, because these workers don't have a, you know, technically recognized union, but they have been able to get assistance from an organization that we've mentioned on the show before arise Chicago, which is a workers center that helps out, you know, folk groups that don't have formally recognized unions. Right. The Chicago Soviet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) They, they, They helped out the Portillo's worker. Or Portillos, I don't. Yeah, uh, Portillos. Okay, that um, who who we reported on their their week long strike earlier in the year, and they're demanding things, you know, like 
a fair wage scale based on seniority and experience, having wages of at least $20 an hour, which in a city like Chicago and, you know, doing production work like this seems more than reasonable. Yep. Uh, and ending the, the harassment that they've been talking about. But unfortunately, unsurprisingly, uh, the reaction was not the company being, oh, wow, I can't believe, you know, you felt that way. Damn, I guess we should uh, sit down and, and hash this stuff out. No, they say, how about you sit down outside for the rest of, you know, eternity? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, they did do a lockout of these workers, which is what I, when they said it was illegal, I was a little surprised that it's illegal to do a lockout. But uh, but yeah, they, they absolutely were ballsy enough to not care about the law like every single company in the United States. And, and they, they went ahead and did that. And I believe it was, how, how long was it before, that they, before they were forced to, uh, to stop locking people out? It, it was not long. It was the same shift. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but this, uh, this company is no stranger to breaking labor law. They've also been routinely forcing their workers to come in seven days a week during staffing shortages. So, you know, you have to imagine that, like, they're just going to pull out all the stops and pay yeah. whatever fines after the fact. They don't care about that. Yeah. Right. They've already taken all that money from the workers, and they're just going to, you know, be right. like, oh, a fine. And besides, it's an OSHA fine, so we all know about those. Yeah. Right. Well, and and they had a... A quote in here where they, they talked to one of the workers at El Milagro, uh, Martin Salas, who's worked there for 10 years, who says, who said, quote, they're cranking up these machines to produce more tortillas, but we're not machines. I'm packing 80 packages in one minute. And if that doesn't happen, then it's my fault, which how that is a mind blowing production rate. You really have to be doing like one sticker in each hand, and if and assuming it's just a sticker, you know, I, I mean, we don't even know what they what exactly is the packaging process here, but to do eighty in a minute, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. That's that's a lot of fucking tortillas. <laughs> like that's insane. And and to your point though about the OSHA fines, uh, El Milagro has another facility in the Austin, Texas area. And they were recently fined $200,000 by OSHA for having unsafe machinery that exposed workers to amputation risks at their production facility. Yeah, real Detroit, I do mind dying hours. <laughs> yeah, I know. And yeah, but that's the, but, but to your point though, it's like they got this, what by OSHA standards, sadly, is a pretty big fine, $200,000 right. for having this unsafe machinery. And yet, they're still running these machines at an incredibly unsafe level of speed in their Chicago plant. They said in there that they're having people work in 90 degree temperatures with no water during the summer or well, no breaks uh, for water. And, and yet, you know, when the workers do one, one day of walkout for a shift, they respond by hiring an armed security guard <laughs> to try right. and enforce the lockout. But but because and, uh, of the assistance from Arise, they were able to get back in there. Right. And not just hiring an armed security guard, but just continuously refusing to negotiate uh, yeah. and even actively harassing the workers that walked out, according to those very workers. So uh, the company has also issued two letters attached to workers' yeah. paychecks. Uh, the first one denying accusations of unfair pay, which is like, 
Blizzard it's Activision a, hours. Well, it's also it's it's attached to my paycheck. Like, right. Dude, I can see in the other document that I'm not being paid fairly. Uh, and then the um, and and also denied accusations of uh, sexual harassment. Going right. on to accuse protesters oh, right. and labor organizers of trying to unfairly damage the company that described itself as quote familia. Uh, <laughs> I never heard that one before. Yeah. Oh wow. This real, one's in Spanish, so re- it's more it's more woke. Real Beto O'Rourke <laughs> speaking Spanish at the presidential uh, debate hours, and yeah. then the the second letter threatened workers that they would be fired if they elected to strike, which is. That's how I talk to my familia. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's probably my favorite part of of this. I mean, it's not good, but it's just like it's such a clear window into the like business owner mindset that they don't see a rather glaring contradiction between right back to back giving your employees two different letters, one that says, "Hey, why we don't need to have these fights. We're a family." And then immediately <laughs> like, "Yeah, if you go on strike again, we're going to fucking fire yeah. you." Yeah. And I, and also, <laughs> I mean like to to include two letters that are contradicted by <laughs> yeah. each other and by the primary document they were attached to, which is your paycheck. Yes. It's just like what a fuck that's like adding insult to insult to injury you know right. like it's it's truly detestable yeah i guess it it's it's even more on its face than that one uh thing that in in the uh the laugh at shit libs channel on on the thing with the uh the i can't remember where it was but the the fish meme where it was like oh yeah. you know you're supposed to like group up against the the union boss or something like that but yet everything it's just hilarious because like the classic fish meme is like the workers getting together to fight for better conditions. It's just, I don't know. It's just yeah. like the contradictions yeah. there. Well, I mean, it's also yeah. so funny because like it, when the capitalists try to turn stuff around on you and they're like, well, what if you need a union to protect you from your union? And it's like, <laughs> we'll form one. It's yeah. so easy. <laughs> That's dialectics, baby. History goes forward. Like, <laughs> but also, like, that's why we have democratic rank and file unions because exactly. then we're accountable to each other and we do things collectively. And if there is a problem, we have recourse within our unions to do that sort of thing, which is why we need democracy <laughs> they, they like to characterize like the unions as just endlessly bureaucratic and some of them can be but rank and file unions are not that it's a it's not a bunch of bureaucrats it's a bunch of like line workers and assembly workers or confectioners or tobacco workers or you know writers or whatever the people who actually do the work that's like kind of the whole point speaking of the people who actually do the work Let's talk about oh, artificial yeah. intelligence. Yeah, you know bit. what? This, this fucking, fucking blew story. my mind. <laughs> I was just like, well, you know, I mean, like AI is just, it's bad. I mean, I've, we've said before, all AI is racist. But <laughs> yeah. this is this AI is yeah. ex- especially racist. Yeah. It turns out those neural networks that were generating images uh, are the same neural network that I form when I invite a few people over for lunch. Uh, it's just <laughs> yes. people. It's their brains. Uh, so now every major tech company does claim these days to be using AI in their products in one way or another. However, we've repeatedly seen in the past with examples such as Ring using workers in Ukraine to identify things on its video doorbells where these claims of AI have been exaggerated or purely false. It's so much worse than the idea that when you 
complete a captcha, you might be helping an right. AI learn to spot stop signs. You might actually be doing the legwork of spotting stop signs for someone's fucking ring application. And even worse than that is that it's not CAPTCHAs. There's a whole industry, much like fashion or resource extraction or whatever, that is routinely exploiting people in overexploited or underdeveloped countries uh, you know, and then dressing it up as the friendly robot that helped you pick out your groceries or whatever. Right. Like I think most people who are pretty online, which is probably most of our listeners, um, have at least heard. I the apologize idea. for Dan's statement there. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think a lot of people have at least maybe vaguely heard the idea of, of what John was alluding to that. CAPTCHAs are not really just designed that way to prevent robots from buying all the Ticketmaster tickets and stuff. <laughs> like They're set up that way so that you can help their quote-unquote machine learning tech that they want to use for object recognition in any sort of software, but a lot of it is for, like, you know, theoretically Military. for autonomous vehicles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or So yeah. I think people may have... Autonomous flying drone vehicles with <laughs> is bombs this on an them. enemy yeah. combatant or a child? Yeah. <laughs> Please select uh, all I, enemy combatants in these photos. <laughs> yeah, if you don't click every human being, it tells you you did it wrong. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ouch. Um, but like, and the example that I that I put in here that I've always used in the past was the Intercept put out a, an expose, like I think like six years ago, about as you mentioned that ring doorbells claiming oh we use ai to tell if it's a person at your door or a raccoon or a plastic bag it turns (laughs) out that no that's just a lie it's it's it was very poorly paid workers in eastern europe largely in ukraine who were just watching the feeds from people's ring doorbells and saying this is a person this is a ups truck this is a bee Mm -hmm. i've seen that one i've seen that meme with the bee really close up to the ring doorbell (laughs) very cute i'm very disappointed that i'm I, i feel betrayed (laughs) well i mean isn't that one of the great crimes is like all of this personal video recording technology could be used for good for looking at pictures of fuzzy ass bees but instead it's used to exploit people in countries that already don't have any economic opportunities yeah Yeah, including like places like palestine which is like i think that that is one of the most glaring examples Mm -hmm. of of what uh one of the places that they have identified as a place where oh these people need jobs and so what would be real better than going in there and paying people 25 cents an hour right (laughs) i mean like literally they go into disaster capital areas and they give people shit wages they do it all throughout africa and in many places around the world that have experienced all sorts of love like like trauma generally at the hands of united states policy and all of this comes with a cool new buzzword micro employment yeah. oh yeah, they're 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 not they're not unemployed and they're <laughs> certainly not underemployed okay they're micro employed and if you yeah. have like 12 micro jobs that's half a job you know like <laughs> yeah like so this this story which I originally like thought was a news story. It's it, but it's an excerpt from an upcoming book, uh, "Work Without the Worker: Labor in the Age of Platform Capitalism" by Phil Jones, um, which I think comes out today, actually. But so this excerpt is is specifically talking about like I thought that that story about Ring was bad, right? But this is this shit is literally exploiting like the poor, the poorest people on Earth, which is refugees. Specifically, this is talking about 
basically faking AI or driving quote unquote machine learning by doing click work, basically that object identification, specifically by employing folks in refugee camps in Kenya, the Dadaab camp, the Shatila camp in Lebanon, and, and as Lena mentioned, also workers in Palestine. And this isn't like, this would be, you know, these are shitty jobs, even if you had, you know, a normal labor protections. Yeah. Right. But, but this is like, there's no office. It's just like a tent in the, the, the refugee camp with, you know, no ventilation. There's no like standard amount of work. There's no wages per hour. It's all done on piecework. And it tends to have. uh, Dang it. You, you broke my chair. I was like, so you might think click work has a diff- has a tone of another sort of work that we've yeah. heard of. <laughs> yeah, the 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 ideological constructs around this are very good at coming up with new euphemisms. Well, I mean, uh, this is essentially the same kind of operation as the way we use prison labor as yes. generalized modern slave labor in the United yes. States, just expanded to people who weren't even uh, convicted of a crime under a bourgeois system, people who literally just had to flee from their homes because of whatever kind of political unrest and are now being forced into what is essentially slave labor in the modern day. Yeah. Like the, this whole story really for me came without, uh, with a lot of parallels to a really good book by Mike Davis called planet of slums, mm-hmm. where he explored the way that neoliberalism creates around most modern cities, these rings of incredibly poor, you know, slums that are largely driven by the informal economy where people do not have any sort of stable formal employment and they're forced to to do, you know, small petty production or, 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 you know, selling maybe a small amount of like produce or something. But this is a new wrinkle in this because now you've got these NGOs collaborating with major corporations and passing this off as if it's some sort of almost charity that it's like, these people should be happy they should be thanking these companies for giving them the opportunity to be micro-employed at less than a dollar an hour. Right, that's right. So you have these NGOs like Lifelong, run by Deepin AI, which trains Syrian refugees to annotate data for Google and Amazon. And then you have another not-for-profit platform, Sama, training refugees in Uganda, Kenya, and India to complete short data tasks and actively recruits refugees to work on Amazon's Mechanical Turk, which I don't know if you've ever tried to like earn some beer money on Mechanical Turk, but you can make like absolute tops like a dollar 95 an hour doing any and that's if you have like a really good hour so this is like a this is a very hyper exploitative industry here this is like kind of on an unbelievable level and then they're going around and saying that their their platform uh their platform motto give work not aid perfectly (sighs) encapsulates this uh the ethos of these projects which it, it almost does in a perverse way, because uh, in the way almost that give work, not aid kind of sounds like, uh, what was it? Arbeit macht frei or <laughs> yeah. whatever work will set you free that the Nazis put on their work camps yes. in World War II. Yeah, no, it's, it is, it is exporting American bootstrap ideology mm-hmm. attached to this computerized version 
of like 19th century piecework. It is this bizarre mishmash of semi-feudal petty production combined with this global computer network to, to funnel like all of this data work from the periphery and from the very poorest people, like the most, these people have nothing. Their homes have been destroyed largely from conflicts driven by U S imperialism. And then they're the only work they're able to get because of the fact that their economies are largely like suppressed by a combination of imperialist structures and like comprador governments, like, usually set up or put into power by a coup (laughs) by again, the same Imperial core actors. And so this is the only thing they have access to. And then the companies that are hiring them for this work are acting as if this is some great thing that though this we're going to, they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to build all these job skills. What job skill do you gain by clicking on a thing and saying it's a plastic bag? That's not a job skill. Like, I mean, right. uh, if your your job is to do captchas all day for twenty five cents an hour, yeah. And, and I mean, this happens well, in in many places. Although John was referring to similar to the way the prison system works in the you know the global north, but it actually is also extending directly to there. I mean, like they they mentioned in this article about the Finnish penal labor yeah. system that is also doing this and presenting it as training right yeah and and the connections between these systems of like imperial violence and the extractive like uh these extractive systems of like exploitation are really perverse and i think one of the ones that was very specifically frustrating to me was one about tesla exporting some of this work to venezuela because you had Venezuela's economy tanking after the you know onslaught and ramping up of sanctions under mm-hmm. Trump's presidency, which by the way have not been lessened at all. Under That's Biden. right. And and it so they did that, which caused hyperinflation in the country, which sent a lot of people into poverty. And the government took a lot of steps to help with that. They put out you know they built more public housing than most places in the world they've done a lot of stuff to try and alleviate that poverty but without the ability to bring in foreign direct investment because of the sanctions there is only limited options and so you do still have a lot of people struggling to find work and so then you have tesla come in and say well i have all this data that needs to be sorted out and you are not in a position to bargain for better wages here you do this shit for less than a dollar a day and they were getting at one point in 2018 75 percent of their data processing from people in venezuela whose bargaining position was only so artificially suppressed by the policies of the government that is also at the same time providing gigantic tax subsidies to Tesla yeah. to do this shit. It's almost it is like, so perverse. It's almost like in a way the sanctions on Venezuela were a way to subsidize the cheap labor th- that yes. they knew Tesla could could get. And then also like, the fact that like the United States will sanction these countries into oblivion. And then when one of these big capitalist firms comes in and starts exploiting their labor at rock fucking bottom prices, the U S doesn't say, Oh no, well you can't do that. That's against (laughs) the sanctions. Like, uh, so it's so obviously designed to just specifically immiserate the Venezuelan people. Um, yeah, 
Which it is, reminds me a little bit of, and I'm going to, like I say in every episode, the nature of the state part three. Right. We talk about, you know, ideological state apparatuses that are specifically designed to create situations that will empower capital and to create a hegemony of, like, the United States, basically. Yeah, and just the the story um, in here, like, because... That was the eye-opening thing for me because I'd heard about some of the, you know, fake nature of a lot of the stuff about AI being bullshit and a lot of it being outsourced. But to to really when they really get into the details of who this is going after, like as the global, you know, capitalist system that has largely been dominated by the United States continues to decay, which is inevitable because tendency of the rate of profit to fall. Right. Like this is just going to get more and more widespread as the tech sector grows in power but continues to need all this data processing that can't actually be done by the computer networks that they claim can do it. And that's just going to continue to incentivize the politicians who are funded by these tech companies to continue supporting these violent state interventions which devastate countries like Haiti, Venezuela, Syria, and and now with the expansion of AFRICOM, all sorts of places in Africa, mm-hmm. to then further provide said same companies with more and more sources of of, of like rock bottom cheap labor, and like it's it's a hell of a cycle. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's not. Only, it's also tied to uh, when it, in regards to Palestine. Uh, oh yeah. no, Nokia and the World Bank, huh? Yeah. The World Bank. Anybody heard of that one before? Well, <laughs> yeah, that was another thing. I remember in the early two thousands. I think there was a couple of Nobel Peace Prizes, or maybe Nobel Prizes in Economics. I don't remember which that were given out for places that were doing micro loans. Especially uh, to places yes. in, I, I think, like India and like Thailand and, and spots like that, and be like, "Oh no, this we're going to unleash the the small producer entrepreneurial spirit in these places." And it's like, no, you're just going to have all of these small webs of imperial like linkages where you've now created all these penetrations by imperial core finance capital into areas that they hadn't previously been able to dominate because it had been with folks who, you know, didn't have enough of their own capital for them to even previously think were worth getting involved with. But by spinning it this way, by using what you're saying, these ideological constructs, as if it is some form of charity, they now get all of these governments in these places to participate in it, to, to encourage this sort of thing by claiming that it's providing opportunities when like what opportunity is there making less than a dollar a day? You're not going to like earn your way out of poverty with that. It's just going to keep you in the same position you're in while providing these companies with an infinite supply of nearly free labor. But Dan, then it only takes 1 billion days to become a billionaire. (laughs) You know, you know, you're right. (laughs) But anyways, I, I think the important thing to take away from this story is anytime somebody tells you their product is powered by AI, they are at best lying, and at worst, they are building it on this shit. Right. And 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 that they are getting their profits from this sort of hyper exploitative relationship. And so, like, it's definitely like worth your time to look into that sort of stuff with any of these sorts of claims, because this shit is just ugh, this is so perverse. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean. I I just it 
I guess it was really just kind of illuminating to me. And I, I'm really glad it ended up in kind of one of the main slots of our show because you know, I, I guess I did kind of assume that it was just like shitty algorithms uh yeah. doing some of this stuff and it's like, you know, that's Same. why it's so bad or whatever. Right. But like, no, these are like people who are like barely able to survive. Like, why the fuck do they care what a stop sign looks like? Why are right. they why <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Like what what incentive do you have to do that sort of job, quote unquote, well, when you're being paid nothing, you're not being provided anything by your employer. It, like it's 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 the literally the bare subsistence like that is like, you know, if the that. conditions that Marx talked about in Capital, like right, right, laid bare right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess on that same note of what Marx described in Capital. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we can get to what we were talking about in the intro of the show, which is the continuation of the farmer's strike in India, where we saw a 10 hour nationwide general strike again. God, they're just like producing these general strikes the the production levels of these workers is is amazing yeah it's true they, they don't right. stop they're they're uh they're floating like a butterfly and uh stinging like a bee you know hitting them with the one two <laughs> the right hook the left jab they're like uh, one day general strike here and then we hit you with the 10 hour general strike over here when you're not looking for it yeah this episode goes <laughs> out to all bees that's right uh yeah so this was um, a 10-hour general strike. This was last Monday um, where the farmers move in because we'd, we'd been talking about how they'd been building up. They've been having these community meetings all across the country, getting ready for a new round of protests. And last Monday, we saw one of the biggest ones in a long time where across all of India, which again, is the most populous country on earth, um, they were able to shut down like, most of the major urban centers in India for essentially an entire business day is purely with people power. And that's, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, as, as communists, that's kind of the core of it. But I think in our like very tech driven society, sometimes I think people can forget about the power of folks sitting down on a railway line to say, no, we're not letting the train go by. We're going to block this highway with our tractors and the the power that that sort of an action has because you had hundreds of thousands of farmers, if not, I didn't see a total number. It might've been in the millions. I mean, with, with India, that, that scale is certainly possible of, of farmers and, and working class allies who shut down transit and commerce around the country. Like markets were closed all over they had. And the other thing that was interesting to see, I thought with this one was that there were even some members of like, the small petty bourgeoisie, like shop owners who were like, yeah, 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 we're, 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 we're on board with this. Fuck these farm laws. Then, and, and just voluntarily shut down their shops for the duration of the day. I think that one of the things that maybe it was pointed out in this article, but I think that it's really important to, to, to kind of recognize that these people did not participate in some of the earlier strikes yes. and that the kind of growing consciousness of this farmer strike has really brought in a lot of people who actually really kind of end up having a little bit of a uh, incentive to 
actually side with the working class on this one. I mean, I definitely think that the when it comes to, you know, petite bourgeois, they they do have some really conflicting interests, but I mean, if they really look at it, I think that there is a way to 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 spin it. It's like similar in how small business owners in our in the United States should support healthcare for all because a lot right. of them don't have like don't have the money to pay for healthcare and and that sort of thing. And so, I mean, I guess maybe they recognize that if we don't get behind this, one, we're going to look bad. But then also, you know, maybe there would be less shutdowns if they actually supported the workers. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's also just maybe that's can, maybe that's too idealistic, but it, it, it can get confusing with the stratification of the working class as well. You know, a lot For of sure. people will ask, they're like, "Oh, well, are you bourgeois if you own a general store where you show up every day from open to close and run it yourself?" And it's like, I don't know, I don't care. <laughs> like, do you support the farmers' <laughs> protest or not? And that's like, right. I think what's really important happening here in India is that. There is a growing class consciousness, yes, but just because it's not like perfectly articulated in the best, most proletarian way <laughs> doesn't mean at all that it shouldn't like be supported and that it's not encouraging to see this like very wide base of support, especially in some of the more uh, left-leaning provinces like Kerala that are experiencing a, a, a really big wave of support for this. Yeah, and and the level of organization to not just, you know, mobilize like blockades and shutdowns, mm-hmm. but to reach out to small shop owners. And additionally, to have stuff available because they mention in here, because of the fact that so many like rail lines were blocked and highways were blocked and like that obviously stops commerce, but those, those you know, those transit lines are used by workers too. Mm-hmm. So these farmers organizations made sure that they had food available for free. So like when they were shutting down rail lines that people were otherwise using to travel around, they were like, yeah, yeah, come on, get off the train. We've got free food if you're hungry. And so they were able to like provide these sorts of things to, to, you know, dampen down any sort of potential, you know, inconvenience or, or issues that that might cause, you know, unintentionally to right. just the regular members of the working class. Well, and well. that's that's a really important point is that this is not just a like labor dispute. This is also a broader structure of community organizing and Absolutely. of of um like at, at, for at this time at least decentralized planning and the meeting of needs for people during a time where it's important to disrupt major elements of everyday life in order to get changes made so that everyday life in the future of course can be better for everybody yeah and th- they had a, a quote in here from a 61 year old resident of new delhi who traveled to the the protest uh, site to show her support for the farmers, uh, Mohini Kaur, who said, these lion-hearted farmers are here today under the hot sun. They've been exposed to rain, heat, and the cold. And so you have like people from all, every strata of the working class. You have the trade unions, student groups, youth groups, women's organizations, all the left-wing political parties, even in a lot of the country, the like centrist Congress party was mm-hmm. supporting a lot of this. You had... 50,000 workers in, in Tamil Nadu uh, and, and farmers taken to the streets led by the, like, the various left parties, including CPIM. Uh, nearly all the roads to Kolkata in West Bengal were blocked off. And the other thing, like obviously, like, a general strike is obviously, you know, very like powerful action. And 
in addition to the level of organization necessary just to pull that off, just to do all this community building stuff, they also have to deal with the fact that like the state apparatus isn't just like, oh, well, ho-hum, they did a thing. What will we do? We right, don't know right. how to respond. <laughs> like the police have been monitoring this stuff. They, 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 this is mostly coming out of an article from NewsClick who are an invaluable source on everything going on in India. Um, there, and specifically in Gujarat, they mentioned that the police in the area attempted to disrupt the strike by preemptively arresting or detaining leaders of these various, like, you know, farmers movements. They had a, the quote in here, as Gujarat government does every time a protest is declared, activists and leaders were either detained or put under home arrest by deploying police at their homes since last evening. At least 12 leaders and organizers could not step out of their homes today to support the strike. I managed to evade home arrest yesterday, but was detained on my way to the location where the farmers had gathered to block the road on NH8, which I believe is a local highway. And this is from Ramesh Patel, who's the president of the, the local peasant society in the area. And that's the thing. It's like they, this movement, and that's one of the, 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 the things that I personally find so inspiring about the movement. The movement has powerful leaders. There's tons of, of like very charismatic and, 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 and excellent leaders in, in the, ver- the farmers and workers movement. But in addition to that, there's been so much base building and work done on the ground that even when the cops were able to detain these folks, it doesn't matter. The protests still happened. Right. Like they still shut that shit down. Yeah. Like they were able to neutralize that attempt by the police to stop this. Right. Yeah, and and I, I think it should be really clear that like what crime have these leaders done? Nothing. None. Right. None. Right. Yeah. Well, that's like the, the the starkness of the difference between provinces uh, like Gujarat, Gujarat that are more BJP dominated, more repressive, more um, loyal to the Modi government and places like uh, Bihar, where your CPIM state secretary, Awadesh Kumar, is out there saying the strike was successful because it was supported by the common people who are angry and fed up with the rising joblessness, price of petrol, diesel, all of this stuff, anti-worker policies. And he said all sections of people took to the streets which is an indication that people will join a large platform to fight against the government. And this is a guy who nominally is a part of the government. So I, you know, as much as I am sympathetic to the idea that like, uh, socialist parliamentarianism is not always the right way to go. You can see it having on the ground positive effects for the people here because in the, the states or the provinces that don't, that, that have a, a much higher level of socialist support, the police repression of these movements is significantly diminished. Yeah. And even with this, and one of the other, so another great thing about this particular movement, and, and this is really more to the character of the farmers movement as a whole. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why we love covering it so much is the understanding here of like, in, if we in the U S were able to organize something like this, it would be the biggest single labor movement like action in a century, probably. And yet there's the consciousness here of like, the goal isn't just to do this shutdown. Like, because they have a quote in here from one of the leaders of the farm, a farmer's organization in Odisha, uh, someone named Sesadev Nanda, who, who said that anger in the area continues to grow at the Modi government for, you know, ignoring their demands all these time from the protests and said, quote, today's strike is symbolic. It will be further intensified until prime minister Modi withdraws the three farm laws End quote. Yeah. and so like 
this gigantic action with an understanding of like the action itself is not the end goal. It's like, we're going to keep doing this shit and we're going to keep escalating it until we get what we demand. Yeah, I think that this actually this reminds me of and I'm going to kind of relate this to something a little maybe even tangentially non-related here in the United States with the what some people might have heard of as like a general strike that's going to happen in October or something like that. And uh, and how if you actually look at the work that these people are putting in to put to put on these actions and you compare it to this so-called general strike that's going to happen in October there it it is absolutely not compared. Comparable. There is no like continued mobilization uh, or or engagement of of unions and people here. There is no actual chance that a general strike will get off the ground because we ha- don't have the sort of organizing and infrastructure that would actually be conducive to a general strike. What it reminds me of is when I was for, when I had just finished my first unionization campaign, and suddenly I'm you know talking about labor all the time, and I'm like, oh, general strike! I'm so excited. Let's just do it. And then you just say, okay, we're doing a general strike, but then how? Yeah. How? I mean, and if you look at general strikes in U.S. history, there's so much context that is just foregone. Especially if you look at the liberal history, they might say, oh, the Haymarket affair happened, and then we got the 40-hour work week, and then it stops. They don't actually go back right. and say, what led up to that? What sort of organizations existed? What sort of struggles were happening that actually led to the power that could create such a great protest to create, like, to actually get enough power to make changes well we're I mean, not yeah. going to see a general strike in october in the united states i'm sorry to tell you that listeners well no because you're right we don't have a we don't have the base building we don't have the 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 real on the ground activism we don't have the level of solidarity where even if our uh protest leaders got arrested on the way to the protest it would happen anyway instead we have a bunch of people who watch Vouch and socialism done left <laughs> making their little Facebook events where we all Naruto run on, you know, in Manhattan <laughs> uh, instead of going to work that day. And uh, it honestly, you know, it amounts to less than one of those weird extinction rebellion protests where you hand yourself into the cops. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that I, we've talked to a couple of times about organizing in the server, in the discord server. And I really want to encourage people. Like if you're listening to the show and you're learning about like rank and file organizing and stuff like that, like, Go become a shop steward like if you have a union in your yeah. in your shop become that shop steward like learn the contract and learn to actually organize your workforce because so often here in the united states shop stewards are just paperwork pushers like that's what they're that's what that's what they were trained to do that's what i was trained to do when i was a, sh- uh, a shop steward it was learn the contract to the point where all you have to do is reference it and and then you know just wait and that's not ex- that's not at all how a union works. You have to constantly engage with the with the membership, with the workers. You have to get them prepared for actions. You have to have them doing actions even outside of negotiations. And you need to be preparing them and engaging them during negotiations. And I right. really encourage all of our listeners, whether you're you know forming your first union or if you are if there's a union in your workplace that isn't working for you, like become a shop steward and get that get those actions moving because that's the yeah. only way that we're ever actually even going to see this sort of strength. I mean, take a page out of the fucking Indian farmers book. Yes. And if your workplace just is not working for you and your coworkers, park a fucking tractor in front of the door. Like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Cause, the, and that's the thing. It's like, yes, the, the material condition conditions, the class relations in the U S are very, very different than they are 
In India, yes. the U.S. doesn't have the sort of, the U.S. doesn't really have a peasant class. There's never really been feudalism in the United States. And yet, the re, like we talk about the, the Indian farmers movement so much, not just because it's, it's cool and, and it's great to watch and, and you know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch all the red flags and be inspired by that. But also, sp- in addition to all that, there are so many concrete lessons mm-hmm. in tactics and how to organize people that are universal. Like the, the way that these folks are doing total community organizing, not just in, you know, the specific areas, farmer organization and not just in, you know, a, 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 a like a, a student group that, but it's going out and talking to small, like they went and talked to small shop owners who are not people you would necessarily might think would be yeah. the most sympathetic, but they were able to make their case and get people on their side and do this total community organization and you have to do that if you're building any sort of workers power no matter what the material conditions no matter what the class relations are in your society and so while there are specifics that are going to be you know unique to the different conditions in each country there's so much like groundwork and 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 really difficult and slow and boring yeah. stuff like having conferences where you talk about, where you have meetings and you talk about tactics and sometimes that stuff sucks, but that's how you get hundreds of thousands and millions of people mobilized to do this sort of thing. And that's the only way to get real change done. And so that's really why, like I always implore people, like I've learned so much reading about this stuff. I need to read more about it and learn more. Right. And, so like it's it's why it's so important to follow these movements in in both India and and like Latin America and all over the world. Mm-hmm. Well, it's such foundational Marxism in action, right? Like they're going and meeting the people where they're at. They're you know right. encountering the material conditions, and instead of imagining them to be what would be useful for their plans, right. they're responding to the actual conditions on the ground. I mean, you can take it back even further and say they're being good Hegelians as well. They're finding the <laughs> rational in the real and not some imagined rationality and then they're finding the truth in the whole which if you want to think about it in marxist terms is realizing that there are greater echelons of activity greater geopolitical social economic orders of of influence and and power and and rights and justice and everything to be one and that you can't stop once you've reached x criteria for y workers you know absolutely and so uh Obviously, we're, you know, really, like, really inspired by the Indian Farmers Movement. We're going to keep following Mm -hmm. it. I'm sure there's going to be, like, really, like, some more incredible stuff coming out of it, you know, as we we continue on until they force the repeal of those farm laws. Right. But on a, a... Another happy note to wrap up the stories this week on a much, much smaller scale, but on a similar vein of, you know, strikes work, but threats of strike also work. That's right. We've got a, a story this week on concessions workers in San Francisco, specifically the folks that work at Oracle Park, which is where the San Francisco Giants play. Uh, the workers there had their contract had run out and they had gotten together and said, hey, so you know how you guys said you were going to enforce COVID protections when uh. the stadium full open? You didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> How about you actually do that or we're not coming into work, any of us? <laughs> That's right. And so, yeah, so earlier this month, workers had a, a brief uh, walkout where they called on the contractor that they work for, specifically Bon Appetit Management, to increase their hazard pay by a $3 an hour raise and 
to lower the eligibility threshold for workers to get health care from the number of monthly events being worked from 10 to 9. And, in, and specifically, like as I was mentioning, uh, to actually force them to enforce the COVID restrictions mm-hmm. that they claim they were going to because since the field has reopened to full capacity, 20 of these workers have tested positive for COVID, which, I mean, that's all the evidence you need that this stuff isn't being enforced. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that when it comes to the threat of the strike, it also partially worked because if you look up Bon Appetit Management and you go to their website, the place is literally like like this perfect version of food sustainability and fair <laughs> trade. And they, in one of their blogs, they've got like the um, who's the the tough girl who was supposed to be like the the industrial Rosie the Riveter. They, oh, they have yeah. like mm-hmm. they have like that in some of the the uh, imagery here, and lots of people farming, and it's supposed to be you know about sustainability. And and when when you see these companies, I mean, for one, you just got to be very careful that just because they look nice doesn't mean they are nice. Right. Uh, but but it also does maybe give them a little bit of a uh, a position where they would not look good if their workers went on, on strike more so than like some Amazon or or some other big company. And so especially putting pressure on them is almost easier. It's it's almost like you can just call like if you really want to like put your money where your mouth is where about all of these practices that you say are so good. I mean, they literally have like about food safety and other sorts of situations. And what is, what is food safety when people are getting COVID in your fucking businesses? Like, yeah. um, And yeah. And, and so with just, uh, just the threat of the strike and the one walkout, they basically got exactly what they demanded. The new contract, which lasts through March of 2024, the workers are getting immediate raises of $3 an hour and then going up $7 an hour by the end of the contract, they're also getting hazard pay bonuses retroactively. So they're getting back pay of $1.50 an hour for games work last year and this year. Yeah. And the contract ensures increased pension benefits for workers. Their healthcare coverage now includes dental and vision at no extra Hell cost. Yeah. It has a and lower health- barrier to entry too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their healthcare plan now applies to an unlimited number of dependents. And that, so, that uh, retroactive pay for hazard uh, work done during the pandemic is really, really important because so many companies uh, think that they can kick this shit down the road. And then if they do eventually make a deal with the union that they can just like save a bunch of money on labor and in wage right. theft and everything up to that point. And when you include these kind of stipulations in your bargaining situation that you have to pay us for the time that we spent working for you where we should have had these rights already is really fucking killer stuff. It's very, very cool to see. Oh, big agree. Big, big agree on that one. Yeah. So, so hats off to these workers. They did a fantastic job and banded together and got exactly what they wanted. And, and, you know, that's why it's like that. That was one of the things to me about this that it really stood out. It's like I, you see so many unions that have kind of leaned towards the more business union mm-hmm. side of things who talk about strikes as a last resort. And I don't I don't think any union should be talking about strikes that way. They are our most powerful economic weapon and we should not be afraid to use them. Yeah, that's right. Well. I guess uh, I was going to we can segue right into the meme review with our first meme in that regard, because (laughs) it is a uh, a very sad looking Garfield to with labeled tenant. 
which is, I mean, if you're a tenant out there, this is you. That's you're right. the sad Garfield. That's right. You hate Mondays. You love lasagna. <laughs> I, I feel like I've done this exact joke on this podcast before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then on the, the right-hand side of this image, uh, we've got something labeled Tenants Union, which is a bunch of really buff Chad-looking Garfields, a bunch <laughs> of them, all just with these smug looks, just like, you know what? We fucking got this. Yeah. So, I, I just uh, kicked Odie right off the table. That's what they're saying right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that because that, that's the thing. It's like... When you're by yourself up against a landlord up or up against your boss, not a whole lot you can do. You're stuck in this position where you may not be able to get that lasagna that you want so much. Right. But if you get to be together with all the other tenants or all your other coworkers, well, you can get everything. That's right. Yeah. What is it? Together we bargain, alone we beg. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, speaking of things that might sound or seem familiar to you, we have a Monsters <laughs> Incorporated meme coming up next. For I don't all even the remember millennial the, listeners. I don't even remember the the name of this bad guy from the movie. Maybe. The only thing I remember it's from the, big the movie, Spider Guy. Spider Guy. Yeah, I remember that um, the little girl really likes Sully. Uh, Steve Buscemi is one of the minor antagonists, <laughs> and uh, Mike Wazowski. That's all I fucking remember. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess you're probably also reminded by that thing that you've mentioned a couple times right. of that sign at at the Burger King, which mm-hmm. says hiring. 14 plus yeah and so this is the bad guy from uh uh monsters inc with the mcdonald's uh like little hat thing on and he says i'll employ a thousand children before i let this company die (laughs) yeah no that's the thing we keep hearing about this oh nobody wants to work right we're not gonna raise wages we'd rather hire children (laughs) i had to everybody's like Oh, John, you were on the job search for so long. Must have really had your pick of the jobs, huh? Isn't that nice? You're you're one of the only people out there trying to go get one. I'm like, I'm one of many people out here trying to get yeah. a decent job. And guess what? It's just as fucking frustrating and impossible as it's ever been. Maybe more so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I can definitely confirm there is no shortage of competition for good jobs out there. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that brings us to the next meme, which is uh, actually a, a classic, which is the uh, woman yelling and pointing at the smug cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the woman yelling is, you want money for nothing. And then the cat uh, is, you want labor for nothing. Hell yeah. And I knew the cat was always the good guy in this meme. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't know where this comes from, so I don't know the source material, but I've always felt like the cat was the hero here. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, this feels to me like the comment section on every one of on on Facebook on every time one of those Bloomberg stories about oh nobody wants to work it's there's a there's a labor shortage because you have all the boomers coming out they're like back in my day we had a work ethic and we would go work out there and also simultaneously being like how come no one will serve me a cheeseburger at three a.m. for five dollars an hour my favorite ones are like the the little old grandmas who who feel a need to post on the Bloomberg article like. My grandson is such a handsome boy, and he has two jobs. He was in the Navy, and if any women are interested, he's single. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I hope hope during yesterday's Facebook blackout that people were able to get their family members who would otherwise have been posting vaccinated during the outage. (laughs) 
weren't able to access their groups telling them about how it's a secret plot to, I don't know, steal from them somehow. Yeah. I mean, that was like the funniest Twitter posts during the whole Facebook thing being down there. Like if Facebook's down, who's doing vaccine research? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Uh, Yeah. This next one is actually maybe not funny. I mean, like, it's kind of dark. Yeah. So this is the guy who is like, how's it going? And then he goes, oh, or what is it? What's the the originally? Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But this one is, hey, uh, how's how's global capitalism going? And then uh, it it shows this Bloomberg article headline, which is seriously the most it's it's like the next dystopian thing after Amazon company towns to save millions. You know, right. <laughs> but this one is uh, give Amazon and Facebook seat at the United Nations. Well, and then I'm uh, sorry. No, thank <laughs> yeah, you. Well, let's finish the meme description. Oh, yeah, and before instead of I saying uh, yeah, he just says Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah, like this is what this is what the the fascists want they want everything to be ran by corporations they want it to be mark zuckerberg making the decisions on whether or not cuba gets their sanctions pulled or not right you know yeah i mean you go back 80 years and you just cross out amazon and facebook and replace it with krupp and ig farben and it's basically the same thing that the fascists in europe were proposing (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so i don't know that they i got upset this morning (laughs) yeah Yeah. but and this yeah. last one, though, it's uh, it's October, folks, which means it's spooky season. So we got to have a a Halloween theme one this week, and this is from Existential Comics, and it's a picture we got in here of you know a, a nice assortment of various single serving Halloween candies. You got a little pumpkin on there, and a little book for some reason, and, <laughs> and it's just captioned, "Beware." As Halloween gets closer, parents need to make sure to look at your child's candy. Some people are giving out what looks like normal candy, but turns out to be Karl Marx's classic critique of capitalism, Das Kapital, in the original German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's it was just very funny. It, it play, there's a I think that everybody knows that the the dangerous candy thing is a is a, just a, a thing that local news pushed to to try and create some sort of additional fear of the other and uh and this is just a really great play on that and i just love it yeah well and it it's like now you have all these the stories every year make sure your kids aren't getting handed out weed candy secretly and every year those same people have to be explained to no one is giving your kids a hundred dollars worth of edibles as a prank <laughs> no yeah i mean that's like when we were kids the the whole thing was you had to watch out for like an apple with a razor blade in it and then right. when the dare program started getting more popular they were like oh no 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 it's gonna be a needle or there's gonna yeah. be a, a warhead but the powder there's on it isn't cocaine citric acid. in your dipsticks yeah cocaine <laughs> in your dipsticks exactly <laughs> exactly but now it's like Oh no, our kids are going to be um picking up desk capital and I could just like a 6-year-old outside some some house on Halloween like uh the German bourgeoisie uh Deutschen <laughs> haben oh fuck <laughs> I don't think this is in English. <laughs> yeah, just make sure they don't end up like like the Grimes character, you know, it's like Oh god. <laughs> not going to get that into that so one. Annoying. No. <laughs> Well, I guess on that thought, I uh, want to thank everyone for being listeners. 
If you'd like to support us, we're entirely listener supported, so you That's could right. do that support over on patreon.com slash workstoppage. You can also share uh, any of these episodes, especially your favorite stories, with anyone that, you know, like on your Facebook feeds or whatever, and you drop us a review. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow Dan and the rest of us at workstoppagepod. And uh, join us in the Discord. There's a description in, or there's a link in the description. And we will see you next time. Hell yeah. Solidarity out As there. As always, folks. what's the line? <laughs> Labor peace <laughs> is not in our interest. Once you pop, the fun don't stop. <laughs> Labor the peace beat? is not in our interest. Solidarity right. for everyone. Got milk? All right. <laughs> Solidarity, everybody. Bye. <laughs>